changing tack here to a slightly more um, <coughs> mundane concept. We're moving away from the visionaries uh, to an equally important part of uh, what I think is the pro a part of the process, which is not um, that translation from idea to commercialization, but translation into patient benefit. And uh, what we'll do for the session is we will have the four talks and we won't have questions between talks, but then we'll have a panel discussion at the end. Okay. So we're delighted to start off uh, to ask Marella Marlow to talk on behalf of NICE. Uh, the talk, top of the talk is defining cost effectiveness and technology assessment, should it impact my trial design? Marella. Okay, thanks very much indeed. And uh, thanks to the meeting organizers for inviting me. Um, I'm from NICE, I'm program director at NICE. And uh, that's the National Institute for, for Health and, and Care Excellence. And we were set up in 1999 to kind of bring about standardization in availability of effective treatments. And um, we provide you know, a wide range of guidance and information to the health service and to local authorities. We are an independent body, so we're independent of government and we're run by a, an independent board. And um, from April 2013, our remit expanded to include uh, setting quality standards for social care, which um, you know we're pretty excited about. Um, I'm going to be talking to you a bit about um, some of our guidance programs, and the main ones I'm going to be mentioning are the ones that evaluate devices and diagnostics. We have a range of those. We uh, look at technology appraisals. We have medical technologies guidance interventional procedures guidance and we also have a diagnostics assessment program and I'm going to be kind of talking about uh, med tech. Now these programs all do slightly different things and um, the, the, we have an interventional procedures program which looks at procedures but we know that um, you know a large number of those uh, will, will involve the use of some form of innovative device. Um, and so we have a, that program looks at the safety and efficacy of procedures as they're being introduced into the health service. We have a medical technologies program which involves um, devices and, and what I would call simple diagnostics as long as the care pathway isn't too hairy. And there we, we look at effectiveness, clinical effectiveness and um, cost effectiveness, but we have a sort of... Uh, um, uh, revolutionary, innovative method there of looking at um, cost effectiveness, which is a, a more rapid uh, test of the cost consequences of introducing a technology. We have the technology appraisals program, which uh, is capable of evaluating devices uh, with effectiveness and cost effectiveness, and also the diagnostics assessment program, which we set up as a bespoke program for diagnostics, and we have a very eminent member of the Diagnostics Assessment Committee here in the form of Paul Weinberger uh, today. So um, that, that kind of range of um, activities is really important, and the kind of timing of when you evaluate technologies, as we know, is absolutely fiendish, and this is kind of, for me, what, um, what this, this concept is, is behind what I'm going to be talking about today. So some of you may be familiar with Buxton's law, which is it's always too early to evaluate a health technology um, until suddenly, unfortunately, it's too late. And um, that's, that kind of concept 
is it kind of sits behind our thinking at night because we, um, some of you will know, uh, some others in the audience from working with us will know just how difficult it is to kind of navigate through um, what I think of as this sort of whole pyramid where if we're kind of starting with... Um, you know, with, with kind of emerging technologies. Well, there are lots and lots of emerging technologies. Um, there are some that become promising with potential benefits, but it might be quite a while before you know whether that's the case or not. And then at some stage, for some, but it's probably a fairly small number, that you're really going to have to think about full coverage um, and full adoption. And NICE can kind of help navigate up that pyramid, if you like. And the way we do it with our programs, so obviously for devices and diagnostics, you've got the standard regulatory process. But we've got the interventional procedures program where we look at efficacy and safety is a bit like a sort of regulatory process for procedures. So, you know, we, we are looking at those at the early stage. And then at some stage, some of those will need to move up the pyramid because there will be questions not just about whether the procedure is safe and effective, but about whether the device um, that is used in those procedures are uh, safe, are, are cost and clinically effective as well. So our programs are kind of aiming to help the health system make navigate from and and developers indeed as well and industry to kind of navigate that landscape from this kind of very early stage through what's promising to what's you know really genuinely of interest where there's genuinely a hard question for commissioners to answer and it's pity Wayne can't make it because I think he would have been able to shed some light certainly on you know just how difficult it, it is to cover the the full coverage and adoption part of the landscape. I'm just going to give you an example now of um, a procedure which we evaluated on our interventional procedures program and uh, published some guidance in December 2010. And this, this is a procedure whose generic title is um, low-intensity pulsed ultrasound to promote fracture healing. And um, at that stage, we looked at some a kind of range of studies, pretty heterogeneous group of patients and types of fractures, um, with a, a key efficacy outcome, which was a reduction in healing time confirmed by um, imaging, and with some key safety outcomes. And um, our interventional procedures committee concluded that that was safe and efficacious for normal use. Now, following that, um, the company, uh, which at that stage was Smith & Nephew, um, uh, then brought this uh, product back to NICE, to uh, look at its cost effectiveness and we decided our committee selected it um, as a suitable uh, topic for medical technologies guidance which is the type of guidance where we're looking at whether adoption will provide um, at least equivalent health benefits to the comparator but we are looking at whether resources are released by uh, using this product. And of course, at this stage, you know, the, the outcomes sort of change a bit because then you're interested in, you know, you're interested in quality of life, you're interested, you're still interested in healing rates, but you're also interested in whether introducing this technology is going to meaningfully save resources in some way. And indeed, this one, uh, this product, it was indeed the case. And there was found to be, sorry, this slide, I haven't translated back from American, but it's about $1,700 per use. And um, the, the saving was generated 
by the avoidance of surgery on on um, using uh, on non-union uh, fractures. So we had the ability to produce um, in reasonably short order uh, a subsequent piece of guidance that explains to the health service, you know, what are the cost consequences of using this product and can you be sure that it is at least equivalent to the surgical or the normal surgical option. Um, and that's, so that's kind of moving the product up, up the pyramid, um, if you like. And, you know, there's no reason why that shouldn't be uh, more, widely, uh, more widely adopted. Um, that's, that's just an example. Now, I was asked to give a sort of bit of an insider's view about um, building evidence, and it, it feels a bit um, presumptuous to do that in such a, an exalted um, audience. But um, there are some very generic uh, things about evidence that NICE will always consider, and these are so fundamental and basic that they will look very basic to you. But it's quite amazing how frequently these are not attended to by product developers, by um, even by researchers and trial designers um, in some cases. So the, the kind of generic guides to NICE evidence would be, you know, it must demonstrate benefits to patients, it must be comparative if that's necessary, it must be over the right time frame, um, it mu must focus on um, health-related re uh, quality of life and patient preferences, um, it must focus on or include some sort of economic or resource utilisation data, and preferably it's a lot easier, it makes it a lot easier for our committees if it focuses on the UK or in some way relates to the UK care pathway. So these, you know, these are very obvious and, and um, generic things. And the, the absolute sort of beating heart of um, a nice evaluation is whatever, you know, whatever the technology is, we always apply the standard PICO table. So this is just absolutely kind of fundamental to the way that we work. And so that becomes, again, although it's just a, an example from um, a recent piece of uh, medical technologies guidance. But this, you know, I'm sure this, this is kind of really basic and standard uh, fare for all of you. But um, I think what we found is this is an incredibly powerful tool to particularly to explain to product developers, and particularly in the medtech sphere, where um, a lot of product developers and a, lo a lot of innovation is coming from, you know, perhaps from SMEs, and the nature of the, the landscape being that, you know, 99% of the 3,000 UK-based um, medtech companies are SMEs, and we are finding that simply exposing them to uh, this uh, table is an amazingly powerful tool in terms of developing their products. So um, I'll talk a bit more uh, about, about how we do that in a minute. And this is, you know, this is only an example of, of a product which uh, was found to be uh, cost-saving against inpatient paracentesis um, and was recommended by, by NICE. Um, but the kind of... Uh, just, uh, I guess one of the one of the uh, things that we find in practice is that we can start with an assessment where we have a desire for quite a lot of outcome data, 
um, across quite a lot of different outcomes, but can often find that when it comes to the evaluation, not you know that long list of outcomes that is listed there can not necessarily be satisfied, and it's often um, because we're evaluating medical technologies on the basis of. Uh, what the company claims for the product. So the commercial sponsor comes to NICE with a claim for what their product can do in what patient group. Um, we do find sometimes that although you can start with a long list of relevant outcomes, the number on which the committee actually has evidence, uh, on which the company actually has evidence can be really quite a lot shorter than that. And so, you know, often we are in the case where the committee is making a recommendation on a product that looked promising, so it's got, you know, got promise, it ticks that box, looks exciting, clinicians are interested when we go and ask expert advisors, they're interested in the product, they'd like to see what NICE has to say about it. Um, but the, the evidence gap across that table, across those outcomes, can sometimes be there. And in those, those cases, we have the opportunity for the committee to recommend further research. And uniquely among our activities at NICE, we have the opportunity in the MedTech programs to pick up those uncertainties and go and work with our external assessment centres um, to develop research that plugs those gaps. So we, we, have acted, we knew, um, realistically, when, when we set up our MedTech programmes several years ago, one of the features, as we know, of medical technologies is um, sort of uh, uh, shortages of data in quite important areas sometimes. So that's, that's a really important feature of what we do. Um, just, and just talk a bit more about sort of what, what looks like good quality evidence for medtech. So the particular, um, the particular areas that we're looking at, that the committee are looking at, are um, study designs that minimise bias, given you know, that there are many, many types of designs that, that you might have. Um, uh, designs, uh, trials that take account of the learning curve and of device evolution. It's amazing how many studies will sort of darkly hint that there might have been several iterations of the device during the course of the trial period, but not actually identifying which persons had which version of the device within the trial. So, you know, that is a relatively common thing, you know, to have that, that kind of di um, evolution of the device not adequately represented in, in the data. And similarly, we know how difficult, there's been quite a lot written about learning curves. Um, I think there's possibly a bit less um, in the academic literature on device evolution. I may be wrong but that's the impression I get, that that's not quite so well understood. Um, obvious, again, it all looks terribly obvious, but given that, um, given that devices can be used for many different purposes, sometimes in patients with diseases, in, you know, completely different diseases, but same device, we have to be really careful, or the sponsor needs to be really careful that they are going for, you know, a... a a population that is kind of clinically relevant and reasonably cohesive. Um, and we, we also think it's really important to, given that most um, or many, many devices will actually sort of change the care pathway in some pretty fundamental way. So, you know, will enable a totally different healthcare professional group to treat the patient or will 
totally change the setting of care or enable self-care instead of healthcare professional care. Um, and so building evidence that demonstrates the change in the care pathway that is enabled by the device is really important as well. Um, and finally, although um, this may sound like the lowest form of data, our committees are very interested in data, in seeing data that support or show what the impact of implementing a device is, given that you know, you're quite often getting these changes in the care pathway. So having, um, having data, you know, for example, a committee recently looked at a device where there was quite um, a group of, of GP practices had done an audit on introducing the products across, I think, something like 35 GP, GP practices. And, you know, this is not, okay, this isn't randomised evidence. This is what people normally think that think of as NICE, that NICE is interested in. Um, however, it's extremely helpful for um, a committee to see those data on the introduction of an innovative device and what its impact is. And they are capable of, and certainly bright enough, um, to, to be able to look at and um, do a sort of synthesis of the whole range of types of evidence that are avail available. Because the promise is only going to be achieved if the device, you know, if it is feasible to introduce it, if people are going to want to use it in the way that the company sponsor expects it to be used. So sometimes, you know, data showing that, you know, it was or wasn't found to be helpful or useful and implemented on the ground um, can be incredibly helpful. So these are the kind of med tech, this is the kind of med tech spin, if you like. These are some of the most important factors and, you know, interoperative uh, or implantable uh, devices will, will very much have, have uh, those important features. Um, I think uh, just, uh, just a couple more slides, um, just to reflect on the sort of uncertainty, and I, I was kind of trying to, to do this to sort of hand the baton neatly on, neatly on to Wayne in my, in my talk. Um, and I think the, the, the kind of uncertainties that, that um, all of us around the table feel uncomfortable about and which are the most difficult to resolve are the, some of the ones that no doubt you've been hearing about this morning, like you know, persistent safety concerns. At what point do those safety concerns get alleviated? Um, and at what, you know, at what point do you say, okay, you're not interested anymore if the treatment effect doesn't persist over a period of time? And I think those are, you know, if we think about back to the pyramid and going up the top of the pyramid to, to sort of absolute full coverage and full adoption, I actually think these are some of the questions that will vex us on the way because at some stage... At some stage, you've just got to say, you know, hell, you know, it's here and we don't need to collect any more evidence. But I'm not sure, you know, that it feels for some uh, products like we almost might never be there. And the one that I'm, you know, a sort of an, uh, best example of that is can you ever be sufficiently certain if you've got something like an implantable device in a population that is stratified by surgical risk that itself... Um, leads to adverse, the, the implanting of which leads to adverse events and is designed to avoid the risk of an adverse event later. You know, is this ringing any bells with people as being a, a kind of situation where I, 
you know, I used to be a payer and I'm just kind of thinking there are some things that you're, you're never going to feel like you've totally hit the top of the pyramid. There might be some things where you want to be collecting data for a very long time. So um, just, just finally, the kind of um, areas where we think we can be helpful. One is that over a long period of time, over the last 10 years or so, we've been um, working with, with specialist societies in particular, but also academic groups on um, registers to address uncertainties uh, in, in safety and efficacy of new interventional procedures. Um, we provide scientific advice to companies um, on evidence development on specific products, but also on general HTA for the SME sector. So that's quite a big aspect of our scientific advice work now, and that's literally telling companies, educating companies on um, how we would approach an evaluation, how they ought to approach the build-up of their evidence. Uh, we do a lot of kind of upstream discussion with companies about their product pipeline, and in oftentimes we will be, if, if they haven't developed any UK-based evidence, we will very often be signposting them to Nocri, and you heard, I think, from Mark Samuels yesterday, um, uh, about the work of Nocri and Lucy Allen is the MedTech um, contact at Nocri. And finally, and again, I was trying to s sort of pass the baton to, to Wayne, is that we have now been asked by NHS England to support them on the developments of um, the data collection around the commissioning through evaluation process. So, you know, we see our role not just in evaluating, but also encouraging people to develop the right evidence before they come to us and to continue to develop that evidence after evaluation by NICE so that, you know, at some stage, the degree of certainty um, around the introduction of innovation can increase. So that's my comments. Thank you. Thank you, Mirella. We'll look forward to some discussion uh, after the talks. Thank you.